Awesome God, mighty Father, and uh, heavenly King, I just thank you for drawing us near to you. In good times and in bad, you've uh, led us here to be with you this morning, and I just thank you for that. Father, for Trent, I just ask that you refill him, renew him in your Holy Spirit, cleanse him of the sickness that's invading his body, and give him the strength required to deliver your message to your people. Father, just uh, clear his mind, convict his heart, and concise his speech. Your words on his lips, Father. And I just pray for those of us here uh, to listen together and to draw near to you that you, um, that you just allow us to submit to you uh, this morning to uh, receive your call on our lives and just uh, allow us to surrender our ears to your words, uh, surrender our minds to your thoughts, and surrender our hearts to your love. Father, just draw us near to you this morning, in Jesus' name, by the power of the Holy Spirit, for your glory, God. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Eric. I apologize in advance for the voice that I do not have. I hope it will be less distracting to you than it is to me. Uh, I did bring water up, which I don't normally do. If you hear that thing pop open, it's because it's a coughing fit about to come. So um, I got hit on Lynn and I went to dinner on Thursday night. I was fine. We went to a friend's house for, for dessert and felt like, man, if I cough, it's going to hurt. Woke up the next morning. This is the way you get. <laughs> this is way better than it was when I greeted my wife this morning. Um, we are in a very difficult segment of the gospel according to Luke. And it, it, it's a temptation for a preacher to what we would say, uh, do exegetical gymnastics around the harsh sayings because we don't, no one wants to stand up and tell people the hard things that Jesus says because uh, we like Jesus to be kind of easy and, and sweet. And we like it when he says, blessed are the peacemakers. And we like it when he, when he calls, when he speaks truth to people who think they have power, even though scripturally speaking, the only, the only one that has power is God. And the only power that we have is the power that God has entrusted to us. But this segment of Luke, he's speaking hard things. Some of the hardest things in all of the gospels appear right here. I'll give you an example. Um, Jesus, when he's talking to, to, to I'll give you two. Um, one, because my wife keeps getting tickled by this this last week. The, he's talking to the Pharisees and he's, and he's telling them, he's woe this, woe that, woe to you, woe to you. And, and then the, sad, or the teachers of the law kind of speak up. And they're like, hey, I don't know if you know this, but when you're insulting them or offending them, you're offending us too. And he, and I paraphrase, but he goes, oh, I'm sorry. You thought I was only speaking to them? Let me talk to you. And he says, woe to you, woe to I mean, Jesus, he says things that are tough that we don't really like. He says, you Pharisees, you brood of vipers, you'll cross the sea to win a single convert and you bring them back and make them twice the son of hell as you. He tells them that they obey their, their father, the devil, because they're liars and the devil is the father of all lies. Um, later in this chapter, he's, he's talking about those that, trusted God and God entrusted them to some things and God was silent for a while, about 400 years. 
And, and they kind of decided, well, God's not coming back. Or I'll just behave the way I want because he's been gone a long time. He's going to be away a long time. And Jesus says, that's kind of like a servant who's put in charge of his, of his master's property and servants. And while the master's gone, the servant decides to start beating up the other servants. And Jesus says these words. He goes, Anyone who, any, any servant who knows his master's will and does not do it will be beaten with many blows. Now, is that the Jesus you normally, it's not tender. And he says that those who don't know what the master wants, but do stuff deserving a punishment, well, they'll be beaten with few blows. Okay. So he's not talking nice things. He's not being sweet. He's saying things to people that claim to know who God is, claim to know, claim to be righteous, that aren't behaving righteously. And in this particular portion that we're going to read from the pulpit, um, a seemingly innocent request is made, and he, he lays into the guy, and then he lays into all of us. So I'm going to ask you to put in your brain this idea. Is it possible that who I align with in Scripture isn't the right one? Because I really like it when he calls out the Pharisees, because those Pharisees. But in reality, a lot of what he says to the Pharisees is true of me. And I'll give you an example or two of that today. I also encourage you, and that's a, that's a word I, I, I use with some caution. I encourage you to read the rest of this chapter, the rest of this section. I encourage you to read the whole gospel according to Luke. But 12 and 13, because it's hard. And I encourage you to read it with this idea in mind. Lord, if you have something to say to me, let me hear it. It might be a word of encouragement, but most of what's said in here are words of not discouragement, but words of conviction. And if the beauty of God is that when he convicts, when his, his, his says his, his word is like a double-edged sword, it pierces bone and marrow. It's never for our destruction. It's always for our benefit. So here's the passage. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, just in case you don't know the inheritance, the way it worked, if I had, in the, if I lived in that time and I had any money to speak of, and I had three children, three boys, sons only, I was to divide my inheritance into four parts. And the firstborn got two parts and the, each of the others only got one. So if there's only one, if there's two sons, the first one gets two portions, the second born gets one. So this young man is saying to Jesus, tell my brother to split it evenly instead of him getting two and me getting one or him getting two and, you know, depending on how many children there are. Now, this isn't uncommon to ask of a rabbi. A rabbi were often asked to step into family arbitration to help everyone discern what is the righteous or just thing to do? But that's not what this man does. He's demanding that Jesus become his attorney. And that he, to, he's saying, you tell my brother what he should do. Even though his brother had every right in the world, according to the culture of the time, and the law of the time, every right in the world, to have the inheritance that his father gave to him and to not share it with anybody else. So he says, tell, teacher, tell my brother... And Jesus replied, man, 
Who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to all of them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now, here's a guy that's like, hey, if you can help me get more, help me. And Jesus goes, you, you don't get to tell me how I'm supposed to behave. Who appointed me judge or arbiter? And then he says to everyone, watch out for all kinds of greed. Because who you are doesn't equal what you have. Now, he noticed that Jesus is never careless with his choice of words. He doesn't say, be careful of greed as it relates to money. And that's how we normally think of greed. It is. I have, I don't give, or I don't share because I want to keep what I have. But there's also greed that is, I don't have anything. I want more of what I don't have. And I'm going to be kind of resi uh, resentful toward anyone that has more. There's also spiritual greed we don't think about it that way, but I'll give you an example. Back in the 90s, I was on the uh, kind of a circuit for people that had youth groups that came to Michigan. Um, they would call a speakers bureau and they would ask, hey, do you have any speakers that can speak at, to our kids? Because we're going to go skiing and we're not going to pay them much, but um, we'll give them a free lift ticket and put them up in a hotel. And I was asked to speak at a retreat for a, a young, uh, for, a, for a youth group just out of a, a group just north of Indianapolis. And they were skiing at Cannesburg, and so we were staying at the Harley Hotel, which is, used, to, used to be called the Harley Hotel, on the uh, Cascade 196. And we're skiing at Cannesburg. Now, back then, I don't know if it's still that way. I don't ski anymore, but Cannesburg had an upper and a lower, or upper and a lower, you see that? Upper, low. An upper and a lower cafeteria. We were up at lunchtime with the leaders in the upper cafeteria. And I was trying to get to know them a little bit. And one woman who had been married for about four years with her husband sitting right next to him, right next to her, she says to me, my husband doesn't pray with me. Would you tell him why he should? That's kind of emasculating for the guy, I got to say. He's sitting right there. And for some reason I had in the moment a modicum of wisdom. And I said... Has he ever prayed with you? Well, yeah, he used to, but now he doesn't. Well, what happened? And he said, she laughed at me. Mm -hmm. See, she saw herself as the, spiritually, the more spiritually mature in the relationship. And he hadn't learned to, 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 to pray the way her denomination prays. By the way, you want to know what someone's spiritual background is, listen to him pray. I can tell you if someone has young life background, youth for Christ background, uh, Pentecostal background, even specific, whether it be Church of God, whether it be uh, uh, First Assembly, I can tell you if they're CRC, RCA by how they pray. Because we grow up learning a common language. We grow up learning how to pray. And this guy hadn't grown up in church. He was a committed follower of Christ, but he didn't use all the right words in the right ways, and he kind of stumbled over it. And so she encouraged him by condescending to him and laughing at him. So she saw her, the grace that she had been given as greater than the grace that he had been given. But the grace, grace is getting what you don't deserve. So she was spiritually greedy instead of offering him grace because he's learning and exercising his voice in prayer. She wanted more from him because she thought she was mature. 
All of us do this in different areas of our life. And Jesus says, watch out for all kinds of greed. Whether it be psychological, whether it be spiritual, whether it be monetary, whether it be stuff. We all are tempted to be greedy. Especially when we're in plenty. Or especially when we're in want. And Jesus tells this parable. The, good gr- or the ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have, no, I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear, down, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And then Jesus says to the crowd, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. Now this, this message, this passage is about money. It's about stuff, but it's about more. I like stuff. I have stuff. In fact, I have a stuff that I'm saving to buy a bigger stuff. Excuse me, a bigger us stuff. We'll just go with that. I have this a stuff, and it does exactly what I want it to do. It's something, it's a piece of a stuff that other people don't have. And I really like it, but I would like it a little bit more if it weren't that, but it were this. It would, if, it were, if my us stuff was a little faster, had some cooler stuff on the front and the center and in the back, if it would, if it would get me to the spot quicker to catch or try to catch things that have a brain the size of a pea. And I'm willing to spend more money that I've saved to buy this bigger boat, bring out another thousand, uh, um, to help me outsmart something that outsmarts me more than I do it most of the time. Now, none of the money that I'm saving to buy a bigger a stuff is ill-gotten. I haven't done anything immoral to get it. I have not been lazy and been paid anyway. I haven't messed with anybody else or taken something that was not mine. This man in this parable has not done anything immoral. He had a bountiful crop. And all of this has been entrusted to him. But Jesus is very careful with his words. He says, watch out for all kinds of greed. And when he tells this parable... He uses a few words over and over and over again. This isn't a real man. It's a parable. But listen to what he says, and I will highlight them. I'm sure you already got this, but let me just. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place for my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there, you're picking up on this, right? Okay. I will store all of my grain and my goods. And I will say to myself, now he goes from first person to second person as if he's talking to himself. You have plenty of good things laid up for for many years. Take life easy, eat, 
drink, be merry. And that old term, the Epicurean philosophy, and we hear it over and over in Scripture. Paul uses it when he says, if Christ did not die on the cross, if he was not crucified, died dead for our sins, eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow you die. This guy says, take life easy, eat, drink, be merry. And then God says, no, you fool, die. You fool, this very night, your life will be demanded of you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be for anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. Now, he is not saying that having blessing is bad. He is not saying that having much is bad. In fact, if you keep reading, even in that passage I told you about, about serving to Moses, master's will and doesn't do it, will be beaten with many blows. At the end of that passage, God says, for to whom much has been entrusted, much will be suggested. No, demanded. He's saying the same thing here. The sin that this man committed is not having a bountiful crop, not even working the ground well. He's probably very wise. He probably did not sow seed on the trampled soil, the path. He probably didn't throw it. He probably knew where the rocky soil was. He knew where the weeds were going to grow up because they grew up there last year. He tilled the soil. He weeded the, 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 the area where he was going to produce it. And he prayed, God, send rain because grain, uh, rain makes grain. He probably did everything right. As he should, because that land is entrusted to him to produce a harvest so that people can eat. His sin wasn't having much, and neither is yours. If you have much, that is not a sin. If I save money and my wife and I decide that buying this bigger a stuff or upgrading the a stuff I have. If that's what we decide to do, there's no sin in that. Unless we only consult with ourselves. Now, if you're a consultant, I mean you no, no disrespect. A dear friend of mine, who I don't think still is, but was a, a consultant in business. He says a consultant does one thing. He asks two questions. What business are you in? And how's business? They have lots of different ways and lots of different charts and lots of different methods and lots of different vocabulary. But when it comes right down to it, what business are you in? How's business? Church consultants, same thing. What's a church supposed to be? How you doing? And if you're doing well, how can you do even better? If you're doing poorly, why? This man consulted with himself. How's business? Business is pretty good. Well, what are you going to do with that? Take it easy. Woe to us, any one of us, any one of you and me, if when we're in plenty, the only person we consult with is us. You and your spouse, you and your Edward Jones or Raymond James or E.F. Hutton, because when E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. There's some of you old enough to remember that. You know who we should listen to when he speaks? Is God. This man decided he had no need for anyone other than himself. That's his sin. That's his greed. He was self-sufficient and was not dependent on anybody else. But what does Jesus tell us? We should become like little children, completely dependent on the one who made us. We think that what's ours is ours and we'll choose to be generous out of our 
excess. And those of you who feel like you don't have much, you're greedy too. Because we consult with ourselves about what we don't have, and sometimes we resent those who do. I don't know about you, but I've never once worked for a man who had less than I do. I've volunteered for a man, but have you ever worked for a poor man? See, those who have been given much, much is demanded. Employers, what's demanded of them, especially business owners, is to provide livelihoods for others so that you can feed your children, so that you can educate your children, so that you can care for your children when they're sick. If you did not have someone who has more than you paying you to do a job, then you wouldn't be able to do the things that God has entrusted to you. But sometimes we go, oh, those rich people. And those of us that have much, sometimes we look at others and go, well, if you would just do the things the way I do them, then you would have more. That's greed. We think of ourselves higher than another. We get greedy with grace. What does Jesus say about forgiveness? If you forgive your brother when he sins against you, your heavenly father will forgive you your sins. But if you don't forgive your brother when he sins against you, neither will my father forgive you yours. See, he's not kidding when he says, be on the lookout for all kinds of greed. And there are lots of kinds of greed. Even sometimes we think we're being responsible and indeed we're not. I told you this story a couple of years ago. I'm going to tell it one more time because it fits. I don't want you to think that I'm innocent in this. But in 2014, my daughter got married. In February 13, 2014, we went to do our taxes. And we did our taxes. And I, my, my tax person, not her mistake, didn't feel like a mistake at the time especially. We were getting $8,000 back. Now, I'm, I'm not that guy. I don't like to loan the government money interest-free. I want, I want to come out zero. I don't want to owe anything. I don't want to pay anything. $8,000. I never got anything close to that. The year my daughter's getting married. And at that point, I'm thinking, we got this. Well, it turns out it's about $7,000 an hour. I don't know if you know. Sorry. <clears throat> um, so we got that, and that's good. We paid for the wedding and as much as we could. And, and then the next year comes around and I go to get my taxes done. And, and we get done and my tax person says, uh, you're going to owe about, about, I think it was, it was either two or $3,000. Depends on what, one year to the next. I'm like, whoa, 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 hold on. I made the same money and I gave more money away. I had the same expenses, same mortgage payment, all that kind of stuff. What changed? So we pulled it up and went line by line. Well, it turns out that last year, the box that says, I am not exempt from Social Security wasn't clicked. And some pastors are exempt. I just don't have, I don't like the fact that it's socialistic at the end of my life and the, everyone else has to pay for me to live, but um, I don't have a moral, biblical issue with it. Some do. So now it's not just a $3,000 bill. I actually owe $2,000 the year before and the $8,000 I got back. So it was $13,310. Ouch. But I had it. Because I like Dave Ramsey. And I had an emergency fund. It took us years to build it up. And we got to help my daughter get married. And, and we had abundance. And so $13,310. And then the next six months of looking at the mail and 
dreading every phone call because I don't know what the IRS, I found it, but boy, are they going to make me pay. But what I did, because I was no longer in abundance, I'm in want, I decided to adjust what I'm giving to God and his work in this church and to other missionaries and other ministries around the country. And so I backed off until I had my pile back. I backed off on what I was giving to the Lord's service, thinking when I'm back in abundance, then I can give. That's greed. And it's self-reliance. And it's not trusting that I do not live on bread alone. Now, I had a paycheck every 15 days. That's how we pay it here at church. I knew that I was fine. But I chose to be greedy instead of trusting. I chose to, chose to consult with myself. Now, once the IRS thing was all taken care of and they, the other 300 bucks I owed them in penalty, then I consulted with God. And he pierced my heart. You see what you've been doing? How dare you stand in front of people and tell them that they should do different than you're willing to do yourself. So I wrote a check for all that I should have done the year before, you know, so far that year. So my, my pile went to nothing and my pile built back up and went to nothing again. And I'm fine and have been ever since. But I consulted with myself. Who's your consultant? Who is it that you trust with your spirit, with your children, with your relationships, with your stuff, with your home, with your money? Because he says, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. You remember the, this is when everyone loves this one when it comes time when they're dealing with taxes. Jesus, are we supposed to pay taxes? Hold up that coin. Whose picture's on it? Caesar. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and unto, unto God what is God's, right? You know who, who bears God's image? You do. So if I'm supposed to give back to Caesar what bears his image, I'm supposed to give back to God what bears God's image. And if much has been entrusted to me, much is demanded of me. Who's my consultant? I cannot rely on my own wisdom. Because when I do, God says, you fool. I don't want God to think me a fool. So, are you a fool? Are you your own consultant? This isn't about giving money to this church. This is about your eternal soul. If you're greedy with grace, if you're greedy with mercy, if you're greedy with money, you're greedy. And there is nothing in scripture that ever says, 
boy, be greedy. I'm going to leave you with this concept. Most of the time when we look at scripture, especially when Jesus is talking, we tend to identify with the hero in the story or the one that Jesus is ministering to. And if you're hurting, that's good. If you're one who needs healing, you're the one Jesus wants to heal. But remember when Paul says we should bear one another's burdens? Yeah, that's good stuff. That's what a good Christian should do, right? I hate that term, but that's what a good Christian should do. We should look for others in need. And and literally, if someone's standing in front of me with a huge weight, a a pack of weight, while I'm with them, walking with them, I should lift the burden to ease it from them. But seldom do we identify as the person that needs our burdens borne. I love what Jesus has to say to the Pharisees, but seldom do I acknowledge that I'm more like them than I was like the Gentile or the demon-possessed or the, or the leper. Who are you identifying with in the scriptures? If it's always either the hero or the one that Jesus came to speak sweetly to, you're missing half of the gospel. So in just a moment, we're going to celebrate the sacrament of communion. It's a sacrament The way we put it, it's a means of grace. It's a way that God imparts grace to us. And what is grace? God's riches at Christ's expense. Or it's getting what you don't deserve. Any of us that thinks that we're deserving of his grace is greedy. But oh, if we believe that he died for me so that I don't have to pay the price for all that I've done wrong, he paid it for me then when I come to him at his table, I am receiving from him an assurance that you are no longer your own consultant. I am no longer my own. What does it mean to be a follower of you, Jesus? What business am I in? I ask him, and then he he looks at me and he goes, how's business? How you doing? Are you the man or the woman that Christ wants you to be. If you're not, don't consult with yourself. Consult with him. Because the scripture says, continue to become who you already are in Christ. He's the only consultant. And he makes very clear his advice, his will, his desire and it's good news. Think on that when you hear the words of institution. Think on that when the plates come by. Think on that as you receive the means of grace that Christ offers you today. Let's pray. Almighty God, we bless you. We thank you. We praise you for your willingness to say hard things to us. Lord, thanks for getting me through three sermons with this voice. I pray that it was not a distraction for anyone, but your word went out and will not return void and will accomplish that which you've sent it to do. Lord, join us. Help us to experience the grace that you offer us today in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to just tell you something very brief, but I think it's just as sweet. It's just sweet. It's a sweet morsel from God. Brain science is telling us that one of the ways that a child, an infant, is securely bonded with a parent. And the way they learn language and emotion and expression 
is from a mom and a dad giving their face to the child. And you see it when a daddy holds up a daughter or a mother holds up a son and their faces are this far apart and they just, the baby, you have the baby's face and the baby has yours. And they mimic and they smile and they, 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 they that's how they learn. And it's how they know they're loved permanently. And if that doesn't happen, something's missing. So when you get this ironic, it comes from a guy named Aaron, this ironic blessing at the end of a, of a service. And I always talk about God turn his countenance toward you. He has to look at his face, smile at you. What that is, is God giving you his face so that you can be securely bonded, so that you can mimic, so that you can know when he smiles at you, he wants you to have joy so that you know who God is and you know whose you are. Brain science is telling us what scripture has been telling us for 4,000 years. That when God gives you his face, it changes you, it teaches you, it attaches you to God. Please rise and receive that God giving you his face. The Lord has just blessed you. He is keeping you. He makes his face shine on you. He's gracious to you. The Lord give you his face, smile at you, and thereby give you his peace. And all of God's people say, amen. Go with and end the peace of Christ.